It's a fine spring morning up here on Dakemet Mountain. The air is meadow sweet and really pure. The gorse is glowing and the hedgerows are busy with robins and wrens, blackbirds and starlings. They're all courting and nest building. Dakemet means good viewing and it was well named by the ancient people who lived here centuries ago. The mountain lies at the western end of the Dramara Hills in County Down and it has a mystical quality. It slips in and out of view sometimes when the clouds are low but on a clear day the views across the valley to the high morns are stunning and unforgettable. This is where I grew up and I love these sweeping mountainscapes. The soft rise and fall of the surrounding summits and the unexpected grandeur at the crest of every hill. Sleeve Krub, Sleeve Naboli, Sleeve Iniski, Cratchleaf and Dacomet. A poetic circle of peaks. They're as old and deep as time itself. It's a beautiful place to call home. Peaceful and inspiring. I hope you'll feel that too as you join me here for a while at the mountain gate. something about the rising sun in spring that my soul cannot resist. I can hear it in my sleep, softly pulsing as it floats upwards through the indigo horizon that lies beyond our Dramara Hills. Often I rise early to watch them all awakening just before the first shafts of light pierce the darkness. Our singing birds can feel it too and they start to tell their stories in tiny notes that sparkle in the sleeping trees. Robins and blackbirds, blue tits and starlings, all piping softly in the pre-dawn, increasing their volume as the light gets stronger. It's my favorite sound of home, and it called me back from the city a few years ago to build a new house on the footprint of the old homestead here in the mountains. One bright spring morning, with the sun glowing around our hills, I drove into the yard to take a last look at the farmhouse and to give thanks for the shelter we knew here. As I turned the key in the lock, I noticed the faded red velvet curtains in the living room were disturbed and pushed apart. With an anxious heart, I crept into the empty room to find twigs, some strands of wool, and barley straws lying in the scattered ashes on the carpet in front of the old hearth. As I knelt down to have a closer look, there was a sudden fluttering clatter in the hallway, followed by an uneasy silence. I waited fearfully, watching the open door that led to the hall. Within minutes, she stepped lightly into the room, twisting her head from side to side and pecking at the carpet. A magnificent yellow-beaked starling, 
her iridescent plumage shimmering in the morning sun. When our eyes met, it felt like time stood still. Me kneeling transfixed on the floor and the starling watching me with dark, unblinking eyes. Without thinking, I heard myself say, You can't build here, darling. It's not safe in the chimney. This house is coming down. She tilted her head thoughtfully, as if she understood. You'll be welcome in our new home, I said, getting up slowly off the floor. In a split second, she flew up in a black swoosh and perched on the windowsill before tearing furiously at the curtains and the glass to get free. Very slowly, with my heart racing, I crept up behind her and gently grasped the little velvet body in my cupped hands. In the sunlit silence, I carried her like a flickering candle to the back door and set her free. And then she was gone, a fading silhouette disappearing into the high sycamore swaying in the breeze. I said goodbye to the old house and drove away, carrying the memory of this moment in my soul. A year later, on another spring day, I watched the sun rise over Sleeve Croup and stood listening with my head tilted to the heavenly chorale of morning birds. In the choir, I thought I could hear her, and something I cannot describe stirred deep in my heart. In the late morning, I took a walk down the driveway to our new black post box to collect the mail. I turned the keys in the lock and opened the little door to find a few letters lying on a soft bed of twigs and wool and barley straw. I lifted them gently and closed the door, wiping the tears away with the back of my hand. I looked up into the high sycamores and in the dazzling light I saw her perched on a top branch, warbling and murmuring in the breeze. The next day, I asked the postman to put our letters in a plastic container underneath the box until the nesting season was over. And sometimes, in the mornings just before sunrise, I think of her, safe and sound outside. And I want to sing with the choir of birds a little hymn of thanksgiving for the comfort and the shelter of our nests up here in the hills. such a perfect word for home, I think. It has so many layers and yet can look so simple. Artist and designer Rachel Fitzpatrick has found her nest at the foot of Dacomet Mountain. And she told me how she was inspired by the birds to create wonderful light installations when she started working with feathers and Velcro a few years ago. 
I went back then to nature to look at what are the things that I could create pieces of, of artwork with. And, and I started looking at feathers and I started looking at nests and, and, and at birds and birds' behaviours and their habits and what they do. And looked at various different birds. So we had um, the, the weaver bird, for example, and it creates, it's the male bird that creates the nest. It's not really a nest as such, more than a, a sort of a sculpture or a structure. It almost looks like an ark. And what he does is he collects together a whole load of bits and bobs that he thinks are fairly spectacular and builds up this really sort of tall mound and then lays out all these little fancy bits and bobs at the front of it to attract a mate. And it depends on where the bird is as to what he will collect. So if he's near the beach, sometimes it's little sparkly bits of glass. If it's in a more urban area, I saw a photograph of a bird who collected clothes pegs. So these lovely blue clothes pegs were laid out for his, you know, for his, his mate to come and think, oh, wow, this is fantastic. Not sure how well this would go down in the human world, but for the, for the weaver birds, this was awesome. And I suppose I love that that aspect and the parallels I could draw with that within my own practice, within my own work, that I was taking a material that maybe was a bit mundane and turning it into something a bit more magical. So that's really where how I thought, God, birds are great. I really, really enjoy looking at this and, and looking and working, sort of being inspired by this. And I looked at the shape of their nests and how I could translate that into the shape of lighting and sculptural lighting and, uh, and things like that. One of the pieces that I created for part of my, my feather collection of lights all inspired by birds was a piece just called Nest. And it has taken the Velcro and I dyed it in bright pink and bright orange. I connected those two colours together with the hook and loop tape and I wrapped them round a, a structure, which again was a, a sort of a fine structure. It's a perspex globe that's normally used in street lighting. And I um, I wrapped these, these big ribbons of pink and orange around this globe shape and until you, you couldn't see it at all. It just looked like this huge big nest. And then I, I, just to soften it a little, I got goose feathers and I curled them and I, I dyed them again to make them really vibrant and to match the colors that I'd used within the piece and then wove them into the, the Velcro ribbons to create this other structure on top of it that sort of looks like a real kind of messy, but, but still sort of softened nest look. I love to use feathers in my work because they really can soften the Velcro and they, they soften the edges and they create a little bit of interest to the structure of the piece. But also because there are so many different types of feathers and the texture that they create. You can get really quite structured feathers when you look at, at goose feathers and then you can get the, the plumage feathers which are really quite quite soft and fluffy as well. Um, I love peacock feathers because they have that little bit of glistening in them and, and they dye beautifully. Other feathers that are beautiful are actually cockerel feathers. They have the most amazing arching shape and they're beautiful to put in and within the pieces because they kind of, they create a little oomph that just comes out of the piece, a little bit of, a little bit of something. So I really enjoy, enjoy using them in the pieces.
in this area at the moment it's just alive with birds and you can just you can look out the window and you can see a bird with something in its beak and it's normally a little piece of grass or a little bit of dried something or a feather or and they're busy 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 and they're hopping from one one place to the other normally back to a tree or we have um in the sort of the eaves of my house we have a couple of little starling nests and they are they are beautiful the structure of them is so delicate and you look up at it and you think how is that staying up there i don't know whether where's the super glue it's just amazing the engineering of it and i love the habit that the birds seem to know where it is and they come back to it every year and i think there's just something so clever and unappreciated about how birds work and their habits and, and, and what they do is is really quite amazing bright spring days, when the little birds are busy courting and building, their larger cousins, the red kites, can be seen sailing gracefully across the summit of Dacomit Mountain. They are mesmerising to watch, swooping and soaring with their bronze plumage flashing in the sunlight. These magnificent birds of prey found a new home here a few years ago. Sheila Henry is lead tour guide with Red Kite Tours Northern Ireland. So we're standing here today at the foot of Dacomit Mountain and back in 2008 when the red kites were first reintroduced it was looked all around Northern Ireland to see what sort of terrain and what area that would suit the red kites best and if you look back to the history of the red kites in the UK and Ireland, they were persecuted and had disappeared through the 19th century and, and were almost wiped out of the UK and Ireland, apart from one small area in Mid Wales where there were maybe a couple of dozen kites uh, remained. And if you think about Mid Wales and if you've ever been there, it's rolling, undulating hills and farmland and some mountains obviously and that's where they remained and were successful and stayed. Back to 2008 it was chosen to release the kites here because of the similar landscape to Mid Wales, rolling uh, drumlins, lots of farmland, hedgerows, rivers. If we look at Dacomit Mountain, they've been released and flown a few miles away inland and they've just seemed to have hung about Dacomit Mountain all this time. And it's because there's lots of farmland, streams, it's near the River Ban. All wildlife will stay beside a fresh water course, some like a lake or pond or rivers or streams. I've always called Dacomit the epicentre of the red kite population because no matter what time of the year, if you come to Dacomit, you'll probably see one or two or six or ten red kites. This time of year in the springtime, traditionally we've gone out on our first day nest monitoring would have been uh, St Patrick's Day 
and that's when as the temperature starts to warm up the kites after their winter roost they go into their breeding territories spread out and then pair up and eventually hopefully nest this is an exciting time of year for any red kite lover because if you spot a couple of red kites flying about low round clumps of mature trees you could sort of bet that the potential could be about to nest A red kite is really distinctive. Everybody these days has got used to buzzards flying about because they've become really common in the last 15 years. And the buzzard is a, a dark brown, chunky bird with a creamy underbody and wings. And he's a very solid bird with solid wings. And when you see him flying in the sky, the wing tips would be turned up at the end. To distinguish a buzzard from a red kite, the buzzard has a fan-shaped tail, but when you see a red kite, it's a more elegant bird. Its wings are more outstretched. It's a larger bird than a buzzard. Its wings are slightly kinked in the middle, but the thing that distinguishes it the most is its amazing shaped tail. It's got a long tail that forks at the end. And then when you see them maneuvering in the air, flying about on the thermals, they use this beautiful fan and forked tail as a rudder to turn and twist in the, in the wind. As its name suggests, red kite, it's a reddy, rusty brown, but it's got a gray and white, almost stripy head down to its neck and shoulders. And then these magnificent, rusty red upper wings underneath um, there are flashes of white as well and a very this very long tail and we've been watching the one kite just just earlier there gliding overhead and you can see i describe it as its tail coming out the back of its body and it looks like a, but it's that long and thin it's like a school ruler but then right at the tip it's got a little chip fork end to it. If you're lucky enough to hear the call, now you can hear the buzzards calling all the time. They're very vociferous, very loud, very noisy. And they they sound like a, I think they sound like a cat meowing. Kia, kia, meow, meow. <clears throat> but they, they call all the time. But red kites, they're more, they, they don't call a lot, but they call to each other when they're breeding. And they'll also, in the winter time, um, as they're coming into the communal roost, they will call to each other. I always think they may be saying, you know, here's a good tree, let's park in here for the night. Um, so anyway, the difference between the buzzard and the kite, um, I have to get my whistling right here. It's... So it's a high-pitched whistling sound and it's really it's really quite pleasant sound and it, every time you hear it you get excited because it, it's not very common that you would hear it it's not you wouldn't hear it very often
Dacomet Mountain, home for Northern Ireland's red kite population. And it's a hard place to leave once you've put down some roots here. But in times gone by, many had to go to find work elsewhere in the world. In the early 1900s, a young poet called Michael McKay said goodbye to these rugged hills to seek his fortune in America. Before he went, he wrote a poem celebrating the beauty of this landscape. So I leave you here at the mountain gate with some of his fine verses. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you'll come back for the summer episode in August to explore Sleeve Croob and the surrounding countryside. As you wend your way, what beauties to be seen, all o'er its mountain tops so gay and valleys evergreen. Fair nature's hand has wrought most grand upon this spot of ground, for scenes so great in truth I state, elsewhere cannot be found. A mountain bold uplifts its head above the grassy meads, where many crystal streams are fed that murmur through the glades. So great the sights all o'er its heights would take some master's hand for to portray the scenes so gay found on this mountain grand. Upon its highest summit stands an ancient fort or cairn and for the view it commands unequalled is in urn. The Irish sea though can describe likewise the Isle of Man all Ulster gay from Belfast Bay to the upper ban. It seems as history does show that this romantic fort was to the Druids a favourite resort. When morning dawned they would ascend their god the sun to greet and there would kneel while with zeal a prayer they would repeat. Around it is a level plain of pretty large extent to recover health and banish pain large numbers it frequent. But now I will quit this charming scene and downward wend my way that we may view some scenes anew found on this mountain gay. Mm-hmm.